This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. What's happening, everyone? ACC Network, Monday morning. Hope you had a great weekend. It is Packer and Durham, despite the fact that neither one of those lovely gentlemen is here. Instead, we have the Youngbloods taking over. I'm Drew Carter alongside <laughs> Dana Boyle. Dana, it is a lovely Monday morning for a youth movement here on ACC Network. I'm a little surprised they let a Gen Z and a millennial take over, but uh, we're here and hopefully they maybe have us back or we get fired. I mean, it's it's either or. It's either extreme. I know. We'll see how the, the next three hours go here. But uh, not only are they letting us host the show, Dana, they are giving us like some real responsibility here. It is a big day on Packer and Durham. We are announcing the ACC Baseball Awards later on in the show. So come back with us at 9 o'clock Eastern We'll reveal the player of the year, the pitcher of the year, the freshman of the year, the coach of the year, all ACC first teams. So not only are we hosting the show together, Dana, for the first time, (laughs) but they're actually giving us real responsibility. This must have been a miscommunication. Like someone in Greensboro had to not know that Drew Carter and Dana Boyle were doing the show today. I'm legitimately nervous. so I'm not even going to say anything about baseball until we get to (laughs) the coach of the year, the player of the year, because you and I have talked about this in length. I mean, it's like a daily, weekly text that we can't even fill out our expense reports correctly without getting them denied. <laughs> so I don't know if I deserve yes. or you deserve the responsibility of this. I'm, I'm a little nervous. I can't even put in the right show code. So I promise you I, I can't do this either. <laughs> but that, um, I'm glad you brought up the expense reports, Dana, because I think that's why we're at our respective homes right now and why they didn't travel us to the mm-hmm. Packer estate mm-hmm. in Charlotte, because the expense reports would just be a nightmare. Um, I'd say that's the thing we do the worst in this life, me and you both, is the expense reports. I would agree. I got audited the other day, so I don't know what that says about me um, on Concur with my expense reports, so I'm definitely not traveling. You got audited? Like, what does that even mean? Like, did the IRS come to your place? <laughs> I don't know. I got an email from ESPN Expenses, and they said, you've been audited, and I didn't get paid for a while, and, but we're back. We're back. I swear I'm an honest human. I oh, promise. my gosh. Is this going to make me like a, what do you call that in like law and order? Um, what's the, what's the uh, like compliant? I'm, a, I'm a, an accomplice, accessory accomplice. to this crime that you're running yes. against ESPN. Yeah, I'm an yes. accomplice to this crime. And we both report to the same person, so um, I feel bad for that that individual because she has to deal with the two of us on a on a weekly basis. Oh, <laughs> well, we got the I SVU know, chime. I know. Love it. I, I was that SVU. Yeah, I haven't watched that show in a long time. But <laughs> yeah. yes, uh, we are both in our respective homes. I'm here in downtown Hartford. I'm about 15 minutes away from where the men's lacrosse championship weekend will be held next week. Uh, sadly, no ACC schools are in it. So that is no bueno. And Dana, you were in Charlottesville, correct? I am, but that's okay because the women's ACC, they're repping in the, in the lacrosse world. So we like that. Yes, we love that. But speaking of Charlottesville, I do have to come off the top with a, a little prop. I can't prepare oh, for the show today. So usually I hate when people eat on TV. I think it's not good for anyone. But I had to do this because kind of like my legacy on the show so far is slandering Bodo's bagels. So 
what I had to do is last night I, I wanted to pick up like a real authentic, tasty bagel that hits the spot in a way that Bodo's just never could and frankly dreams about but can't. So what I went, what I did is I went to Panera, uh, Panera Bread here in Connecticut, and I got myself some bagels. So I have an everything here with a little hummus on it. <laughs> and Bodo's, you're being put to shame by this bagel. This is going to be delicious. Whoa, 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 hummus in the morning on a bagel? Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. never even oh, heard yeah. of that. That's straight personal oh, Panera. Out of all, the, I know it's that a, you love Panera, best. but I... I actually judge you a little bit for that. And I'm not a judgmental Mm. person, but when you told me that Panera is your favorite restaurant, I was very curious about you as a person before I met you in real life. Mm -hmm. I told you that before we even met? Mm Mm-hmm. Probably shouldn't have done that. I can't remember what game we called together. We called the Duke game live from home. And we had never met before in real life, which is crazy because so much was done during the pandemic mm. from home. And you told me that off the top. And I was, I don't know. And then we got Probably because Starbucks I was eating Panera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I try to avoid that place when I travel. Panera? Yes. You can't even make a comparison with Bodo's and Panera. I mean, there's three Bodo's in Charlottesville. They're all amazing. I couldn't find my t-shirt. I do. I did purchase a Bodo's t-shirt and I couldn't find it because I tried to wear it on the show this morning. But the t-shirts are $5 (laughs) and they're made out of that soft cotton, like the best cotton t-shirt. So they have good bagels and they have good t-shirts. They have the best Fountain Diet Coke ever Mm. in the history of Fountain Diet Coke. One-stop shop. You spent some time at Bodo's a a few months ago when you were in town for the Virginia game. Yeah, well, because when I go to a bagel shop, what I want is Fountain Diet Coke and an affordable T-shirt selection. That's what I want. When I I roll out of bed in the morning, I say, let me go to Bodo's Bagels, not for a bagel, for a T-shirt for five bucks. Yeah, It's it's a one-stop shop. I tried to ask if I could franchise before I really got into the real world, and they said no. (laughs) So there's only three locations in Charlottesville, and they're not allowing franchises, so... I respect that. Well, you can be on the wait list, wait list to franchise the next Bodos. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with Bodos. And for the folks in Bristol, this is what you signed up for. I'm sorry. When you asked the two of us to do the show, you signed your name on the dotted line for a lot of bagel discussions. So here we are. And Bodos, the problem is, listen, the T-shirts might be great. The cream cheese is phenomenal. I'll give you that. The jalapeno cream cheese, really, really good. The coffee was good. The operation is efficient. Great. It's all well and good. But that bagel, you could take three bagels combined, one from each Bodo's in Charlottesville, and it still wouldn't match the size of this behemoth I'm eating from Panera right now. And that's what you need in the morning, a real solid-sized bagel. Bodo's bagels are made for children, frankly. It's quality over quantity. Also, did you call it... What did you say? Jalapeno? How did you pronounce it? Jalapeno? Yeah, that, that's, that's wrong, friend. <laughs> <laughs> I like saying jalapeno. Uh, I had a, a debate with a buddy of mine in middle school once where he said jalapeno, 
and I say jalapeno, mm -hmm. and we asked mm, a teacher, how do you say this word? And he was like, I just say jalapeno. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever, so I've kind of adopted that. Mm. Okay. All right. I won't slam you for that one. You can adopt it, too. You can adopt it. Any of the folks might, at home honestly. can adopt it as well. Yeah. So, all right. Enough, enough bagel talk, as, as much fun as that was. We're eight minutes in. We already told you we're going to be revealing the ACC Baseball Awards later on in the show. That's going to happen at 9 o'clock Eastern, and it's going to be a blast. Again, responsibility for the two of us, which is suspect from the folks in Bristol, but we're going to do our best. <laughs> and not only do we have ACC Baseball news, but ACC Softball is all of a sudden a powerhouse in 2022. Not only did we have four teams hosting regionals, we've got three teams moving on to Supers, Clemson, moves on in its own regional. Duke moves on in its own regional. Kind of a karmic victory, by the way, after Duke had to go mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. Athens as the seeded team against Georgia last year. And Virginia Tech, the two seed, or the three seed in the tournament, is also moving on. Unfortunately, the two seed in the tournament, FSU, is not moving on. They're upset by Mississippi State. But we're focusing on the positive here off the top. These three teams, Dana, moving on to Supers, all with a chance to win it all. I'm excited. I'm not going to lie. Before this year, I wasn't a softball fan. And I mean that because I didn't really pay attention to ACC softball, but I am so impressed. I would never get behind the plate from a pitcher. Would never do it. Would be so afraid. But I think it's awesome. Bombs away in Blacksburg. That's huge for them advancing to the super regionals. I think it's awesome. I mean, the ACC is so strong and I love to see other teams and conferences, you know, really hit it, hit it out of the park. Yeah, Dana, we're showing your athletic resume right now, which is very impressive. You're a great lacrosse player at UVA, <laughs> but I'm with you. I think basically any athlete in any other sport could not mm -hmm. touch a pitch in softball, and that includes baseball. I was reading mm -hmm. a story the other day about Jenny Finch, the legendary Team USA softball pitcher, and it, this was like in the mid-2000s or so, and they were doing like an all-star celebrity game. And none of the best players in Major League Baseball could touch Jenny Finch's stuff. I think it's actually the hardest thing to do in sports is hit a good softball pitcher even harder than trying to hit a good baseball pitcher. Because softball, you've got like, first of all, the mound is closer, the circle is closer. They're not on yes. the rise, so it's a different angle. The, the ball can like look like it's rising. I don't know if that's physically possible, but it looks like it at least based on the laces <laughs> and the way it works with gravity. So... I'm with you. I think that's the hardest thing to do in sports. Yeah. I mean, if I was a pitcher, like Millie Thompson impresses me because she doesn't wear that face mask. I would literally have like body armor if I was a pitcher. Because what happens yes. if someone swings the bat and it crushes a line drive at you? It's similar to like being a goalie in lacrosse. I would never sign up to be a goalie in lacrosse. Never, ever. You could not pay me a million dollars. I've said this so many times on the air, but... The way that that ball, the velocity of it, no thanks. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't make it in softball either. I don't think I'm tough enough. Yeah, I mean, if if they could put a net in front of us, like in front of the circle, then maybe I'd sign up for it. But <laughs> yeah, aside from that, I'm I'm with you. I mean, that that's even scarier than like facing a Charlotte North eight meter, right? Is pitching a softball. Mm -hmm. I think we need to yeah, get so. Charlotte North to come play softball. She is spectacular. She might be able to do it. 
That would, I mean, she that'd be good bombs, TV for ACC Network. Yeah. Now we're talking. Maybe we're coming I'll up with ideas Acacia here Walker. on I'm going to ask Acacia Walker uh, yeah. when we're at the Final Four next week. Hey, can we get Charlotte, Charlotte on the plate? See if she can hit. I think Acacia might not go for that, at least not in season. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. She might. Uh, but she's yeah, pretty open. She might she's opt out. She's pretty open to one. doing a lot of different things. Yeah. Well, hey, Dana, you, you mentioned championship weekend. BC is going back, trying to make it five straight in the national championship. We've also got championship weekend set for the men, and we've got to talk about your precious Cavaliers. The Who's had a chance to give us an ACC team on championship weekend. Could not get it done against the best team in the country. We've got plenty of breakdown coming up for UVA as they head to the offseason. Their reign of terror over college lacrosse is over. We're going to break down UVA Maryland next. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. We are back on Packer and Durham. Sans Packer, sans Durham. Instead, it's Drew <laughs> Carter and Dana Boyle with a youth movement on this beautiful Monday morning. Thanks for hanging out with us. And Dana, we've already talked about Panera and Bodos and really all the, uh, the important things here on the program. Before we move on to some actual sports ball talk, want to give a shout out to Mick McDaniel, who tweeted at us and says, already one of the best Packer and Durham episodes. With Drudel25 repping my Cape Cod fave, the Chatham Squire. All right, we've got a Chatham Squire fan. Nice, get that lower third out of here. want to show off the Chatham Squire gear. Nice. So, shout out Mick McDaniel. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we are glad to be here. Unfortunately, we do have to talk about what happened with the Virginia men's lacrosse team over the weekend. They got that work for the second time this season from the Maryland Terrapins. Now, to be fair to UVA, that's what Maryland does to everyone this year, aside from Syracuse, which yes. is something we should talk about uh, later on in this segment. But Maryland crushes Virginia 19-8 is the final. Um, this game was played in Columbus, and the Terps are off to championship weekend again. So, Dana, I know you watched this game. What's your takeaway? Well, the three-peat finally came to a close. Maryland just dominating the Hoos. Um, it was a rematch of last year's NCAA championship. I'm a little disappointed that the selection committee put them in the same side of the bracket so early. Only one ACC team in the postseason, which I fundamentally disagree with. I think Notre Dame got snubbed. But UVA won that game last year, championship weekend, by just a goal. And Maryland dominated Virginia the first meeting of the season this year. And I thought Virginia played a little bit better. Matthew Nunes, the goalkeeper, is a freshman stud in cage. But the Terps capitalized on a lot of mistakes from Virginia, and it was really hard for them to climb back. But full effort for the four quarters. But I know Lars Tiffany expects a certain level of perfection. So I know that Virginia fans, myself as an alum, are a little bummed that they didn't, they didn't beat the Terps. But Maryland, men's lacrosse, is in the NCAA championship Final Four weekend, and same with the women. So that's sort of a cool stat. They used to be a part of the ACC. We won't completely disown them. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, frankly, they should still be part of the ACC. So we'll claim like half of a championship weekend appearance for Maryland men and women each. So we get one more for the ACC. But, Dana, I think you said a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, and I want to start with the selection committee. Because this was obviously a point of contention for everyone, but especially folks like us in this ACC universe, right? Um, Notre Dame was the biggest snub 
from the field of 18. Duke, I think, was probably the second biggest snub, and you could argue that they should have been in as well, probably over Harvard. You know, you can't take any of the conference mm-hmm. champs out. Obviously, no one, no one is demanding that that's going to happen. But the fact that Notre Dame didn't get in and Harvard did is frankly criminal. And what it tells you is nobody on the committee actually watches the games, or at least the people who make the final decision don't watch the games. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I know there are people on the committee who do, like Joe Bresci is on the committee. You've got a couple of coaches. But it doesn't make any sense that Harvard gets in and Notre Dame doesn't. And I think the only reason why is Harvard beat three teams in the tournament and Notre Dame didn't beat any in the tournament. But now we're in circular mm-hmm. logic territory because the people who decide who's in the right. tournament are the ones who are also deciding that Harvard belongs in there and Notre Dame doesn't. Notre Dame had a better RPI. They had won a bunch of games in a row down the stretch. They were crushing everyone. They did give Maryland their best game, only a two-goal loss. So the fact that Virginia is the only team from the ACC in at all, that's a crying shame. Then you don't seed them? How does that make any sense? They only lost three Mm -hmm. games this year, and they're Mm -hmm. the back-to-back reigning champs. So how is Virginia unseeded in the first place and then gets matched up with Maryland in the second round. Now, I know for UVA, the standard is winning championships, so it doesn't really matter. Like, if you lose, Mm -hmm. you lose, period. But still, getting a championship weekend is different from getting blown out in round two. And it's it's unfair. Like, I actually think I can't decide what's more of a travesty, the fact that Notre Dame and Duke didn't make it at all or the fact that UVA was unseated and had to play Maryland in the second round. Right. And this is coming from a Syracuse fan, so this, this means a lot to me, Drew that you are defending yeah. Virginia and the ACC. It, it's, it's big, but I do, I do agree with you. I think a lot of Ivy teams got in, and I'm not so sure that they were all deserving. Um, again, the selection committee, it's a tough job. There's a reason why you and I are not on the selection committee. But I do think that end-of-season performance should be taken into account. And in some ways, I feel like some of the members who maybe aren't lacrosse-specific or pay attention to the entire body of work maybe just checked the specific sports pages and said like, hey, this is so-and-so's record. We'll let them in. But Notre Dame didn't have the best start to their season, but the way that they ended and trended was in the right direction. And I, I was saying this to a friend the other day, but I feel like how the college football playoff has their selection committee is a really good framework for how maybe lacrosse should follow it. And I think we deserve answers as lacrosse fanatics and fans and analysts um, why Notre Dame didn't get in based on their resume and full body of work, so to speak. Well, yeah, they won their last six games of the year. They didn't have any bad losses. Um, And Mm -hmm. their average margin of victory in their last six games was 17 to 10. So they were crushing everyone. Mm -hmm. Jake Taylor came back, and when he returned to the lineup, they were a different team. So we can relitigate that all we want. And, you know, enough has been said about the Notre Dame snub. I actually think Duke kind of got snubbed as well, but that's a story for another day because, I mean, if you talk to, like, people who really know the sport, Dana, like yourself and, like, Q and, like, Kark and all the smart people we have here at ESPN, they'll tell you that those are two of the five or six most dangerous teams in the country. Now, I know you don't put a team into the tournament based on what they can do. You've got to do it based on the resume. Right. But the eye test has to play a role at least a little bit, Um, and clearly it didn't. So the ACC... I think got job and it includes this Virginia draw. Like no one probably is mm-hmm. going to beat Maryland this year. It seems like, like that's going to be the right. case. They're going to roll to an 18 and 0 season, be the first team ever to do that. First unbeaten national champ since 
Some little team from the Commonwealth of Virginia did it in 2006 when they went 17 and 0. But <laughs> this Maryland team is historically good. And and again, I just I don't see how you can pair up UVA and Maryland in the second round. This is a game that belonged on championship weekend. Right. I think I was reading a lot on Twitter and they said this should have been the national championship just like last year. And someone, I saw a tweet that said, congratulations to Maryland NCAA championships 2022, because at this point, who's going to stop Maryland? I think Virginia had the best chance and they put a pretty good product on the field. Lars Tiffany is a pretty X's and O's guy and they couldn't beat Maryland. So uh, I'm disappointed that they are on the same side of the bracket. We deserve an ACC team in the national championship. Yeah, I'm with you. Now let's before we move on to talking about championship weekend, let's, you know, send UVA off in the way that they deserve. Um, because I think there's a chance we look back after this season and we say, yeah, that was the second best team in the country. And they had a valiant championship defense after winning the last two and being the champs for the last three years. Uh, they just ran into a buzzsaw. Like Connor Schellenberger had scored a point in every single career game until yesterday. Um, and he wasn't mm-hmm. even matched up against Maryland's top defensive player. I think you could argue it, it was Zapatello who was on Schellenberger for the most part. And Makar was kind of roaming in that, I think, free safety type role. And Schellenberger was still held scoreless. Matt Moore was not blanked in this game, but might as well have been. You got so many good Dodgers on this UVA team. The fact that they couldn't mm-hmm. get anything going is just a testament to the Maryland defense. And we talk about Maryland. And I think most of the conversation is around the offense led by Wisnowskis, who is the number one pick in the PLL draft and is probably mm-hmm. going to win the Tawaratan. And even their like short stick defensive midfield unit, which is historically good. But then you, you put out that close D and they're shutting down Schellenberger and they're shutting down more. Cormier has no room to even get feeds from those guys. Mm-hmm. Like This Maryland team is so historically good that you can't even really judge Virginia based on the way their season ended, I think. Right, and you talk about Matt Moore, although he was sort of stifled with that Maryland defense, he concluded his career as UVA's all-time leading point scorer. So 277 points in 73 games played. You got to give him some credit. But I am so impressed with Matthew Nunes, the freshman goalkeeper. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was just getting rockets in that game and finished with 11 saves, his freshman campaign, 159 saves, the most by a freshman goalie in UVA history. That is extremely impressive. And there are some good goalies who have come through Charlottesville. I mean, the guy he replaced, Alex Rode, was a four-year starter, mm-hmm. obviously won two national championships. And I'm glad you bring up Noons, Dana, because now we can kind of turn the page and look ahead to Virginia in the future. Moore is leaving. He was top five pick in the PLL draft. And what a career he had. But Nunes comes back. Schellenberger obviously comes back after his sophomore season. You know, those two guys were two of the most impressive players I saw all year. I'm sure you would agree. Uh, Nunes to come in there as a freshman replacing a legend. You know, he didn't even know if he'd be the starter because Rode had another year of eligibility in this bizarre COVID world. And Nunes said he just wanted to come in and earn some playing time. Fast forward, he's the ACC freshman of the year. He's maybe the best goalie in the conference I mean, I was so impressed by him this year, and the Hoos have three more years of that guy. They're going to be right back here. He's got really quick hands, which I think is is really important as a goalkeeper, and he's got those 
quick twitch muscles. But when you look at Virginia as a whole and the legacy, started with Dom Starja, now Lars Tiffany is taking over. That was their 41st appearance in program history in the NCAA tournament. So there's greatness in the Virginia lacrosse program for the men's side. So this maybe is just an off year and, and they've got a lot to build on. Matthew Nunes is coming back, like we talked about. So having a, a leader in cage like that, that can sort of shepherd your defense. I think a lot of times in lacrosse, good defense leads to really good offensive production. And so that's a win and a takeaway for me, although their season ended probably shorter than they've hoped. They've got a really good goalkeeper coming back who has experience, who's played in a lot of tough games. Well, that's another great point, Dana, is like to go in there as a freshman and be the leader of the defense and kind of quarterback the defense mm -hmm. is it's just incredible. So good on Matt Noons. Great season. Good on Virginia. I mean, again, you didn't deserve to lose in the second round. This was one of <laughs> probably the two or three best teams in the country. So I will say this, though. It's a little poetic that Maryland rolls through Virginia and route to what could be the first undefeated season in the sport since UVA did it in 2006. That That is, I mean... The lacrosse yeah, gods are pulling yeah. the strings here. That's a good story. That is a good story. And, and credit Maryland. I mean, they're a great team, and John Tillman's an awesome coach, and they do a lot of good things really well on the field. So, And we got to go to break here, Dana, but I'd love to get your thoughts later on. Is this going to be a boring championship weekend? Because we could potentially see Maryland mm -hmm. Rutgers in the title game, and we've already seen that twice, and Maryland has punked Rutgers both times, obviously, both those teams being in the Big Ten. And then we've got two more Ivies. So we'll get into championship weekend later on. But that's on the men's side. And we got to talk about the women's side because that's where the ACC is showing up and showing out. We've got two ACC teams in the Final Four. It's Carolina and it's BC, potentially on a collision course in the national title game. We're breaking down how they got there and what it's going to look like next on Packer and Durham. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Monday morning, Packer and Durham. Drew Carter, Dana Boyle with you. No Packer. The Packer Pack is in Italy. Congratulations to them. Nice little summer vacation. Happy for them. Wes Durham is in Cartersville, Georgia. So good for Wes as well. Um, so Dana Boyle and I are here bright and early on a Monday morning. Thanks for hanging out with us. Glad you're with us on Packer and Durham. And uh, it's time. Yeah, here we go. Dana, you've got the mug. And it, this is encouraging stuff. I wonder if Wes and Pack are watching us. I think they're probably streaming it wherever they are. They have it on the side. They're checking in on us to make sure we're not totally ruining their show. Dana, if there's one thing I know, it's that Wes Durham and Mark Packer are not watching this morning. <laughs> there is <laughs> no. no chance. <laughs> I don't know if Pat never really ACC on vacation in this his, business. Uh, <laughs> that's true, but I don't know if Pat gets ACC Network on the Amalfi Coast or wherever he is in Italy. And I don't think Amy Packer is dialing up Packer at Durham on this Monday morning or whatever day of the week it is in Italy. Um, but I also have a mug. It's my Prince mug. Nice. I love it. Yeah, it's always a crowd pleaser. Don't, I'm from Minnesota, so I have don't, to wrap. Don't out me on my song selection genre of music like you did on that <laughs> broadcast. When uh, what was the what was the song? 
The artist that you asked me, that what was my favorite song? Uh, Billy Joel, because one of the players was from Cold Spring Harbor. And I was like, oh, Billy Joel, shout out. Dana, what's your favorite Billy Joel song? Crickets. I, you put me on the spot. I was exposed. You exposed me. And it was not cool. Okay. Okay. Usually I'd agree with you. It. Putting someone on the spot song. is not cool. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you came back with Piano Man. Nicely done. That is his best song. It's his most popular song. I mean, it's not necessarily a deep cut, but I'm proud of you for, uh, for coming up with Piano Man. And for, for anyone, I, I know everyone watched that game because who didn't watch Duke, Virginia Tech in, uh, in early April here on ACC Network. But for anyone who didn't watch that game, Dana tried to redeem herself and her musical acumen uh, by coming back with a reference of her own. And uh, why don't you tell the folks at home what that reference was, Dana? I'm honestly embarrassed because I grew up and still <laughs> listen to a lot of music, but I was so confident. I don't usually take it back from break. I'm pretty new to all of that sort of stuff, but I was like, I'll take it out of break. I'm definitely going to crush this. And I said, we were talking about Katie mm -hmm. Simone, who's just lighting up the cage for Virginia Tech. She plays at Duke's, just a sophomore. I said, this girl is on fire. And I said, said just like Rihanna says, but she doesn't sing that song, it's actually Alicia Keys. Um, so it was pretty embarrassing, I'm not going to lie. And I was so sure of myself and so most confident I've ever been coming out of break. Most confident. And then I just annihilated myself. <laughs> it was humbling. Well, it, was, it, was it was truly a, real... a humbling experience. Yeah, it was a real test for me because... Um... I was, I basically had to take my headset off. I was laughing so much. And it was funny, you came back from break and you dropped the reference and you were so stoked about it and so proud of yourself. But then you had like 30 seconds to do the actual breakdown with the video. And I did, I, I couldn't contain myself. So I just, I had to be quiet for a while. And I was like, should I, should I correct her on this? And then I realized that Dallin Cuff was in studio. And if I didn't correct you, then Dallin would have. So I figured we mm. might as well just do it then. And, uh, I'd, I'd alert you that you said Brianna said that song, which is not right. Yeah. <laughs> you had to. You had to. Also that game, too. A little bit of a disaster on my end. I was using the wrong box, the talkback box, to mute myself. I was There was three boxes oh, in yeah. the booth, and I was using the wrong one. So I don't know how much I coughed over air or tried to hit the mute <laughs> button, but it was not the right mute button. It was not correct. <laughs> I forgot about so that. So it's concerning that they trust it, us. I, do, <laughs> I know, I know. I, I do remember that because I heard you coughing when you hit the cough button. And I'm like, oh, she must just be <laughs> pressing the talk back button. It's all good. Um, and then like in the third quarter, you realize that that was the spare headset box. Yeah. 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 I think I wrote you a little note. I was like, hey, FYI, I've been using the wrong call box. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Listen, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. I couldn't even figure out how to get connected here until like 6.45 a.m. Eastern. So I was freaking out. Luckily, Drew Brooks, Casey <laughs> O'Brien and company in Bristol, they're very chill, very equanimous, very level-headed, no freak out here. Here in my Hartford apartment, there was a freak out. I was... <laughs> trying my best to keep, you know, the, the train on the track. And I, what I really needed in that moment, Dana, was to see your mug and be reminded that I'm doing great. 
You just let me know when you need to see it, Thank and you. I'll put it back up on the screen. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Now, speaking of doing great, how about North Carolina and Boston College women's lacrosse? They are both going on a championship weekend at Homewood Field in Baltimore. Dana Boyle, you will be there in person to watch BC try to make it back-to-back national championships. They take on the Maryland Terrapins, and we've got the top four seeds in the semifinals. This is going to be such a blast. We can't wait. I love it. Two ACC teams repping Acacia Walker, Weinstein won it all last year after really a challenging three years in the Final Four. So I'm super pumped that two ACC teams are going to make it in the Final Four. But Boston College, they got a tough road ahead of them with Maryland. They haven't played this season at a conference. Um, but Boston College is doing a lot of good things really well. Um, I think they were challenged against Loyola, but that's to be expected. Jen Adams is the GOAT, so to speak, in women's lacrosse. She's the head coach for Loyola. So uh, I think they're probably appreciative that they had that sort of challenge in the NCAA tournament before they play a really good team in Maryland. Maryland has a great goalkeeper in Emily Sterling, so their shooters are going to have to be really sharp for Boston College in that game. And this is a fascinating matchup, right, Dana? Because when BC lost Mm -hmm. those three national championships, it was bookended in 17 and 19 by losing to Maryland. So, I mean, I know BC got the monkey off its back last year in the championship against a team that we don't have to mention uh, who they beat in the title game last year. But (laughs) this might be a bit of a revenge game for BC. It was Syracuse, for those of you that don't know. Drew just is shameful of his squad that they didn't make it all the way. But, you know, there's always next year, Drew. There's always next year. Kayla Trainer is doing a really good job at the helm of Syracuse. Uh, but I'm excited to watch yes. Boston College. I, I think there's a lot of ties in this game. Coach Acacia Walker-Weinstein played at Maryland, so there's a lot of familiar faces on the field. But Boston College, they've got to come out on fire if they want to beat Maryland. And I know that there's a lot of different things, schemes that they've been working on, connections, chemistry on the field. Charlotte North is incredible, and I will never take anything away from her. But internally, the dialogue isn't all about Charlotte North. They have a lot of different players that are getting involved. Kayla Martello, Bell Smith. Names that you probably hear a lot, but they diversify in the way that they score. And I think that makes them difficult to scout because you can put a face guard on Charlotte North. I don't really know why you would do that because she's pretty good about getting out of the face guard. But if you do, we've seen teams do it. She can still facilitate and then you take her out of the play and then it becomes 6v6. So then there's even more room for the Boston College attackers to score, which I think is really impressive. And midfield for Boston College is the glue. You take those midfielders off the field and... Boston College isn't the team that we've seen play. So I think midfield game is going to be huge, that transition. But I feel really good about Boston College. Yeah, well, in the midfield is Bell Smith. And we've got to give a shout out to Bell Smith Mm -hmm. because in that game against Loyola, Dana, I mean, you mentioned they get tested. They went 20 to 13 against the sixth seed in the tournament. Loyola, a team that had lost one game all year. They were 20 and one. The Greyhounds were allowing seven and a half goals a game coming in. Bell Smith scored seven on her own. It was a career high for the sophomore. She did it in the quarterfinals against a really good Loyola team. I mean, I love the way you said it. They de- diversify their attack. We've got Smith. Kayla mm-hmm. Martello is coming into her own. Jen Medjid is a superstar. We know this. And then, obviously, Charlotte North at the top. And I think those other players, it's not just that they've taken advantage of all the attention that Charlotte gets. It's that they're amazing players in their own right. And so credit to them and credit right. to Acacia for bringing them to Chestnut Hill, um, 
their their offense is so scary right now. I don't think there's a scarier unit maybe in the country outside of Chapel Hill. I agree. And also defensively, we got to shout out to the defense because, you know, the coin term defense wins championships. But it's true. They've got a lot of young defenders. Sydney Scales, we'll talk to her later. But she's what I like to call backyard baller. And her and Hunter Roman, they're just sophomores. They've got a great transfer in Courtney Taylor. But it's a young unit. And they're doing a really good job limiting some of the sharpshooters that we're seeing in the ACC. So I'm impressed and encouraged. And I would be if I was on that team that my defense can hold their own and really give my offense some juice. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Sydney Scales. I think leading the ACC in, in ground balls and cause turnovers or, or near the top in both. Um, it's a Loyola, like, we talk about the defense being good. Their offense is even better. Um, I called this mm-hmm. game in Newton, so I, I got a chance to do a lot of research on Loyola. And it was a... It was a tough homework assignment because they had so many different players who could beat you. And I had to, like, really do some mm-hmm. research on all of them. Like, Livy Rosenzweig, 200 career goals, 200 career assists, second D1 player ever to do that after Kylie Olmiller. Uh, Jillian Wilson, one of the best two-way middies in the country. Mm-hmm. That's a loaded team. Um, in BC, they gave up 13 goals, which I'm sure is probably not up to their standard, like in a vacuum. But that game was, it was close for the first half. Uh, but after that, BC really put the clamps on it. Maybe their defense is even more impressive mm-hmm. than their offense. I think so, too. It gives them a lot of juice. We saw it in the ACC tournament. I think Rachel Hall hasn't been the most consistent goalkeeper for this Boston College squad. But if you watch last year's Final Four and championship, she came alive. So it only matters when you get to the Final Four. You know, She's held her team and led her team this far, so she's got to come out really on top, and I know Acacia Walker has a lot of confidence in her, and she just needs to get back to playing this backyard lacrosse, not letting the you know pressure get, get in her head, and I think she's doing a really good job, but I think she's a big part of holding this Maryland team to fewer than eight goals, I think, I think is necessary for them to beat Maryland. Well, it's going to be a great game in Baltimore, B.C., Maryland. On the other side, the odds-on favorite for this tournament, Carolina, Got maybe their stiffest test of the season in the quarterfinals at home against Stony Brook. Dana was on the call of UNC. We're going to talk about those Tar Heels when we come back on Packer and Durham. Can Carolina win its first national championship since 2016? They've got some really good opponents coming up in Baltimore, but UNC, they proved they can win in any way. Last week, we're going to get Dana Boyle's thoughts when we come back. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. We are back on Packer and Durham. It's Drew Carter, it's Dana Boyle, and it's Billy Joel joining us. <laughs> I shouldn't have even told you, Dana, who Joel it was. I should have just asked if you knew who was singing this. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that again, please. Don't put me on the spot. <laughs> All right, no so Billy no Joel more. brings us back from break. Yeah, B- Billy Joel... Uh, for the folks at home who weren't with us earlier, we won't talk about Dana's uh, Billy Joel debacle, but we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Um, if, if anyone has thoughts, if they want to call into the show, you see the number there, one eight four four say accn If you want to talk about lacrosse, this is the show to do it because we've got Dana Boyle, the expert here. And Dana, you were on the call for Carolina and Stony Brook in the quarterfinal. Women's lacrosse, UNC, the number one overall seed. And they got a scare from the Seawolves. That was a close game. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was sweating in the booth, and I don't have an allegiance really <laughs> to either team, but Stony Brook is through and through Long Island. Like They almost essentially just recruit exclusively Long Island kids, and they are tough and they are gritty. Their zone that they played against North Carolina, who sort of struggled in a zone earlier in the season, they put on a show. Like I want to get the breakdown of how to run that zone. So if I ever decide to coach high school again, we're going to have a fire zone. But they gave North Carolina uh, some issues, and it was really close. And I think it was a really physical game. I'm not so sure um, either coaches are happy with the officiating, but the officials have a tough job. I don't think the rules of women's lacrosse make it easy to sort of uh, officiate that type of subjective play. But it was really physical. It was really gritty. But if you're North Carolina and I'm Coach Jenny Levy, I want that test going into the Final Four. That's probably the first time that they've really been tested. Aside from that Boston College game in March that they played in one by one, that's probably the biggest test that they've faced. And their team responded. I thought Andy Aldave did a really good job. We'll see her on the show later today. But Taylor Moreno was lights out in cage. Their defense was great. I mean, it was 8-5. That's a really low-scoring game, especially now that you have the shot clock. So when I played, there was no shot clock. So you could hold the ball and you could stall. This was back and forth, sort of like a ping-pong game, lots of possessions. UNC had 18 turnovers. I know that Coach Jenny Levy will want to clean that up. But it was a really tough battle game, and it was so fun to call. Yeah, it was. And you said at 8-5, Stony Brook led 5-4 in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the type of score where you pull it up on your phone and you just like you pass it around. You're like, can you believe this is really happening? I mean, I was at Fenway Park when this game was happening. And uh, <laughs> my buddy, Rich, was like, dude, Carolina's losing. I'm like, what? I thought they're, yeah. I, they're like Maryland on the men's side. You just never expect them to even get tested, let alone be losing in the second half. Um, but was it was it just the zone for Stony Brook, you think, Dana, or is it maybe an issue for Carolina as they head into championship weekend? I think you got to credit Stony Brook, the zone. It really threw the UNC attack off. They weren't moving the ball. The way to break a zone is you got to spread the field, find the backside, so where that zone extra player is not. And they sort of run this like zone slash backer. So it was really difficult, but credit Coach Bellina. The defense for Stony Brook, I think it was incredible. And UNC struggled to, to find the open girl and to find the shots. I don't think that um, their shooters were on fire. But I do think when you come out with a W in that sort of game, it has to give you some confidence. So UNC has only trailed twice going into halftime. And it was Stony Brook, and then it was Boston College in the ACC championship game. And then they came out on fire in the third quarter. So I think when you have that sort of challenge – it helps you in postseason play, and it helps you in the Final Four. Now, they crushed Northwestern in the regular season, 20-9. to nine. I do think Northwestern has gotten better, but they have to be on fire. Like, if I'm Northwestern, I'm watching that game, and I'm like, we are implementing a zone, 100%. And if I'm UNC this week, I'm only practicing against the zone. So I don't think it's anything really to do with UNC and the fabric and foundation of their team. I think they will respond very well to that close game and – Coach Jenny Levy is a competitor, and those, those girls on those team are, are phenomenal athletes. And what I take away from that game and I think is really important is uh, I think people gave threw some shade at Jamie Ortega because she didn't have a goal in that game, but other players stepped up. 
And if Jamie Ortega isn't scoring, that's okay because she's a facilitator. And I think that's really important to remember. Um, she doesn't always have to score for her team to do really well, and other players can step up. It was sort of like the transfer battle. It was awesome. Andy Aldave, Sam Geiersbach putting the balls in the back of the net. To me, that's encouraging if you're UNC. You don't have to have arguably your best player or attacker in the country um, buying for a Tawaraton. You don't have to have her score because she doesn't need to. They're that good and they have that much depth. Absolutely. ACC's all-time leading point scorer, Jamie Ortega, quiet against Stony Brook. UNC still moves on, thanks in large part to the three goals, like you said, from Andy Aldave. She'll be joining us at 9.30 here on Packer and Durham. An hour before that, it'll be Sydney Scales from Boston College. Also, moving on to championship weekend, so we've got plenty more lacrosse action to come, but I do want to give a little shout-out, Dana. You mentioned him. Joe Spolina, head coach of Stony Brook. His son, Joey, number one recruit in the country for this upcoming class. Do you know where he's going to school next year? I sure do. I think it's, a, it's an orange school, and it's not UVA. It's the Harvard of Central New York. Joey Spolina. <laughs> Joey Spolina I do think, is going to Syracuse University. I do think it's important to mention that Joe Spolina – wore a full suit. He always wears a full suit. So he's the head coach of Stony Brook. It was like 95 degrees in Chapel Hill on that Thursday in the quarterfinal, and he was in a full suit. I have to give a shout-out to Joe Spelina because that is so impressive. I asked him before the game. I was at the shoot-around, and I was like, are you going to wear a suit? I know you're you know, sort of iconic for wearing it. And he said, I wear the suit because if I'm in a suit, I won't walk around and pace. So it helps me not sweat. So it helps me stay grounded, like physically, literally grounded. So I'm not running up and down the field like a crazy person. So I thought that was interesting. That is awesome. It's a blast from the past. I mean, no one wears suits yeah. anymore. Yeah. Like no matter the sport, hoops, lacrosse. Good on you, Joe Spolina. And uh, he's done a great job with yeah. Joey. And we will see what he does in, in Syracuse. But before we move on from UNC, Dana, we got to give some love to Taylor Marino as well. I know she's one of your yes. favorite players. Uh, between the pipes for UNC, she's got experience. She's got moxie. We're throwing this up now. 68-6 and six as a starter. The fact that she started that many games is insane and won that many is also crazy. Oh, she's a stud. Um, I don't know if many people know this, but she's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So when you see those like super athletic saves, that comes from that sort of background. She's so athletic. Gone are the days of goalkeepers just being like, quote unquote, the worst players on the field. That's not a thing anymore in women's lacrosse. Arguably, I would say that they're probably some of the best players. She is so solid in cage. She also clears the ball. She'll like walk up to the 50 and just hum the ball. She's like the key in transition a lot of the times. And, and they've got really good, strong defenders in front of her. But she is a stud. She just eclipsed the win record of Kaylee Waters former goalie for UNC, who actually is on the volunteer staff. So she's done a lot of things and made her mark in Chapel Hill. And I was a little emotional. It was her last game at Durant's Field. I, I'm not a Tar Heel fan. Um, it wasn't an alum. I am a fan, um, but wasn't an alum. But I was emotional. I'm not ready for Taylor Moreno to leave college lacrosse. And I'm, I'm sort of hoping somehow we can wiggle out uh, another year with the NCAA, <laughs> maybe. Come back for a seventh yeah. year, Taylor Moreno, please. <laughs> <laughs> People have done it in this world of COVID eligibility and transfer rules. Maybe a seventh year for Taylor Marino. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, she's been on Packer and Durham before. Uh, she is a blast to talk to. Very mature. I promise you, like when I was a student, I was not nearly as equipped 
to go on television. I studied it, <laughs> but Taylor Marino is like ready for the limelight and she's yes. back in it again. And, and for Carolina, I mean, they're, they're trying to win their first title since 2016. They've been a dominant team in the regular season the last few years, Dana. Uh, and Taylor Marino is going to be a huge reason why if they do get back to the summit, she's going to be crucial to that. I would agree. And they're in a very similar position than they were last year. You know, they were undefeated last year. They make it to the final four, the semifinal. They lose to Boston College, which no one expected. I said many a times on TV, they will win the national championship in 2021. And they didn't. And they have some remembrance of that pain. You have to. Like, it sticks with you. You go undefeated and then you lose to Boston College. If you're a player, like I was a student athlete, you've of course you remember that. Like, that's a terrible way to end your season. Um, so I think for UNC, you know, they're vying to get to the championship game and they want to win it. And Jenny Levy has never had a Toraton winner. And there's a good chance that if they do win the national championship, either Ali Mastriani or Jamie Ortega could potentially win the Toraton. And I think that's that's important. Um, they deserve to have a Toraton winner. They're a very elite team. And what scares me most if I'm an opponent playing UNC is I think they got better from last year to this year. Their midfielder is a little bit older. Their attack is a little bit older and they've got some transfers. So it's, it's a scary situation if you have to play North Carolina. They are dangerous. They're the one seed for a reason. Now they're battle tested after their 8-5 win over Stony Brook in the quarterfinals. And you see that little graphic for Jenny Levy. That number might get to 40 by the end of, of next weekend if Carolina can take care of business at Homewood Field and win the championship. And if they do that, maybe Jamie Ortega does win the first Tawaratan in program history. And it would be a very deserved trophy for her. I know she's got a lot of family and friends who follow the sport and watch us here on ACC Network. Jamie Ortega absolutely would deserve that award and Carolina would be a deserving champion. We got to talk about best of the weekend and Carolina certainly is one of those. And coming up on Packer and Durham, it's a Monday. So we're doing best of the weekend. We're running through the entire ACC slate. Spring sports season in full swing. We've got postseason. We've got baseball, softball. Best of the weekend is next. Packer and Durham.